Welcome to This Week in VO with J. Michael Collins. Each week, JMC will host one of the voiceover industry's most interesting personalities for a casual freestyle chat that encompasses more than just business, digging deep into the guest's backstory and pulling back the curtain on how they became the person they are today. And now for this week's guests, Joe Davis and Karen Barth. Hi, everybody. It's J. Michael. I'm back with another episode of This Week in VO, and I've got two really cool people with me this week. Uh, they are the founders of voiceactorwebsites.com, which has uh, very quickly risen to prominence as probably the leading provider of web design development and SEO services in the voiceover industry. They're the people that I use for that, and they have helped me make money. God bless them. Welcome, Joe Davis and Karen Barr. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Jay Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. The pleasure is all mine. And, you know, we're going to talk about all that VO and website stuff soon, but I want to start by talking about bugs. Um, and <laughs> I have no idea why you're saying. And, and I, I, I've got, I mean, anybody who follows Joe on social media knows that he's got a bit of an insect fetish and, uh, and, and the pictures, they're, they're quite impressive pictures, but I've got to, I, I have to admit, I am terrified of bugs um, in, in, in our household, you know, snakes, you know, mice, whatever. I'm good. I got them. But if there's a mayfly, I run screaming through the house like a little girl and Anna has to take care of it. So what, what is the fascination with bugs? What, what, what is, where, where does that interest come from? Uh, so my guess is it started with my dad. He's uh, kind of a, a walking encyclopedia. So he has degrees in biology, zoology, gemology, a PhD in biophysics and molecular genetics, and he was a professor of electrical and computer engineering. So, so he's smart. So he's a, yeah, a bit of a brain. And I was actually homeschooled my entire life up until college. Um, and when I was growing up, when he wanted to teach me something, it was always experiential. It wasn't, you know, here's a piece of paper and memorize this. It was, oh, we're going to learn ecology. So we went to Arkansas and rented a cabin in the middle of the woods and spent three months identifying everything we saw. And so um, I, I, he has a, a special love of nature. And I think where a lot of other people are either not exposed to it or taught to be afraid of it, it was kind of the opposite. You know, here's an opportunity to, to learn about something and have an interaction with something that is, you know, not human. And so I, I fell in love with it and I love photography. And so it was a way of marrying the two. Very cool. Well, what's your favorite bug? You know, oddly enough, I don't think anybody has ever asked me <laughs> that, which you'd think would have happened by now. Um, different types of bugs for different reasons. So, you know, from a sound perspective, there's a, it's a very different answer than a um, beauty perspective. I think tiger beetles are among the most beautiful uh, beetles. And I, I've actually posted pictures of them. I'll, uh, I'll post a, a repost soon so that you can see, <laughs> but they're, they're this iridescence to their, um, to their shell. And so they can be multiple colors. They can be blue, green, purple, all at the same time. And they're, they're really pretty magical. Wow. We saw one when we went, we went on, I think we went to a conference once and we went on a hike and we found one on a hike and it was just, it was so gorgeous. And Joe has this, this thing with bugs where if somebody's scared of it, he'll find the logic and in, in a way to make people appreciate the bug. So they're not scared of it. <laughs> do, you, do you share this fascination with entomology? I love biology in general, so I'm not scared of bugs. I love them. <laughs> Very cool. Very good. Joe, is there one that you're afraid of? No. Um, no. I, 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 the, the only 
<laughs> okay, so there's a caveat. I'm not afraid of it, but I'm afraid of the sting from it. So there's something called a golden twig ant. And I've been stung by everything you can imagine. I generally, it's fine, not a big deal. If it isn't, if it is a big deal, I, you know, it's, I'm still okay. But this golden twig ant, they um, have a, a cytotoxin as their venom. And mm-hmm. I got stung by one once on my leg. My entire leg swelled up to be larger than J. Michael Collins. That's and, big. <laughs> and then I got this bright red line that traveled up my vein, up my leg, Ooh. through my stomach towards my heart. And I sent a picture to a friend of mine who's a doctor. And I said, uh, what should I do? And he said, you need to go to the ER like an hour ago. <laughs> oh and God. so what I happened? did. They, they pumped me full of antibiotics and I was fine. But it was that was a scary one. Uh, and it, I, it, I, when I see them now, I will still like catch them and let them out of my house or something, but I don't let them crawl on me. Oh, wow. But, but you, but you, but you chill with some murder hornets. No problem. Oh, murder hornets. They're a piece of cake. Not that I've had the pleasure. <laughs> but so what, what in the world may, and I know it's not your only venture, but what in the world made you go, let's build websites for voice actors of all things. Uh, so there's a mustache that is responsible for that. Mm. Um, Mr. Leonard, Mr. (laughs) Leonard. So um, Dan and I are are both from Buffalo. Uh, We were friends uh, well before I was involved in the voiceover industry. And he, he asked me to help him with his website and marketing, which I did. And then a little while later, he said, you know, I I think voiceover would be an interesting niche for you to to focus on. And prior to that, um, we we dealt with different types of businesses, but uh, the, the biggest niche was law firms. And uh, I'm a big fan of really understanding an industry and then providing a, a customized service for that. So I, I, I didn't know very much about voiceover at the time. I really, all I knew was through him. And I said, well, it sounds interesting, but uh, you know, I, who am I in, in voiceover? And so he said, well, why don't you come on my show? At that point, it was um, Ewabs. So it was before mm-hmm. voiceover body shop. And so I went on the show and just talked about general marketing and website stuff and didn't really expect much to happen. And then the next morning I woke up to probably 50 emails from voice actors and I was like, huh, there, there's something here. So I, I spent probably about a year learning about VO, doing some VO myself and really trying to figure out um, a, if there was a, an opportunity to help people. And if there was, uh, if it would make sense for all concerned. And at some point I decided that it was and launched a business that um, really has become the, the largest aspect of our, our company uh, is providing services for VO. And so many of the folks who work for us are professional voice talent themselves. And um, it, it's been an amazing ride because as opposed to virtually every other industry where people feel that they have to be corporate and, you know, their personalities are set aside in, in VO, in the entertainment industry in general, but I'd say definitely in VO, uh, people's personalities become their brand. And so it, it's, it's not only uh, in dis, not discouraged to let your personality come through, but it's actually a, a benefit. And so you, you meet all these wonderful people and many of my closest friends, and I think Karen probably would agree with this, uh, come from the voiceover world. So it, it's been a, a wonderful ride. And I, I can't imagine uh, better people that I'd like to be working with. 
And so Karen, how did you and Joe meet up? So I actually met Joe through his parents, oddly enough. He wasn't, uh, I don't think he was living in Florida at the time. Um, but once he moved down we met and we became good friends. I was not really working at the time. I went back to school and Joe was kind of scaling the business and he asked me to come work with him. And I was like, Hmm, I was like, I don't really know anything about voiceover. I know about project management. I know about all this other stuff, but I don't know anything about voiceover. So I said, let me go, um, some, some conferences with you. So I went to a lot of conferences, took a lot of workshops, probably for about a year, year and a half. And then I was like, okay, I'm ready. I found my tribe. (laughs) I was like, this, these people are cool. This is really fun. And I just fell in love with it. And I'm really thankful. I guess Karen's Karen's humble, but um, before she actually managed a manufacturing facility in China. So she was commuting back and forth and managing this really complex operation. So she's really good at dealing with a lot of moving parts. Very. And and, uh, so what was China? I mean, we're in China. What was that like? So I worked in Ningbo and Shenzhen mainly, but not only. And I worked in injection molding. So I worked in manufacturing, worked with all types of industries from um, consumer goods to pieces of things that go into your body when they're performing surgery to car parts, you name it, high tech uh, stuff for the military. I was involved in it and it was really, that was a great experience. A lot of traveling, a lot of seeing different cultures, um, learning to deal with different cultures. And it's, it's interesting because with that, I got to work with so many different industries and with voiceover. Also, I get to meet with different personalities. I get to work with, you know, within this industry, there's so many industries that we work with. So it's, there's a lot of crossover and yeah, I enjoy it. I didn't what, think what, I would love anything as much as manufacturing, but I do. <laughs> what, what, what is, and I think that's the first time anybody's heard that phrase, uh, but what, what, is, what is China like? I, I think for the people who haven't been there, I mean, as close as I've gotten is Hong Kong. What is, what is mainland China like? So I worked in mainly industrial zones, and it's interesting because people there, basically the men, they leave the countryside, they work in these factories and industrial zones, and they go home maybe once or twice a year to their see their wives and their kids. Wow. And so they live in the factory. Uh, most factories are two, three stories high. And there's, you know, a floor dedicated to their sleeping quarters. And downstairs, they do the manufacturing. And then there's a kitchen. And they eat there. They play outside. They like uh, backgammon. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, they, they're there all year long. It's crazy. Very and, yeah. And Karen's told me all kinds of stories about um, the food and um, the the medical care. And, and it's just, it's a fascinating, different world. And, and in, you know, in China, it's not Chinese food, right? It's just food. Right. Chinese <laughs> food in America is not Chinese food. <laughs> what are, what are some, what are some of the unique culinary experiences you had while you were there? Oh, so walking into a restaurant there is, kind of like walking into um, a pet aquarium. <laughs> there's, there's a wall with lots of aquariums on it and you can pick the fish you want. And in the center, kind of like an aisle away of a bunch of basins with uh, like little bubbles. I don't know how to even describe it. The little, 
I don't know, I'm not a fisherman, but um, there's these little contraptions that move from basin to basin and move bubbles and oxygen around in the water. And uh, there's all these different things you can choose from. And then there's another well with snakes and bullfrogs and birds and all kinds of interesting things. And you just point out what you want and you can have it. I mean, there's standard restaurants, but these are the kind of restaurants I went to. And I'm not as adventurous as you probably are, but (laughs) (laughs) um, I used to walk into the kitchen and point at what I wanted as far as vegetables go and things like that. Because yeah, Um, you're you're not the, you're not the person who ate that bat. Are you? I did not eat the bat. <laughs> I've eaten many interesting things, but not a bat. <laughs> All right, you gotta 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 watch that. Uh, so, how does how, do, how does working with voice actors compare to working with lawyers? Oh uh, <laughs> I, I have to be careful. I might get sued. <laughs> uh, so, I I think with lawyers generally, their perspective is. Um, make me money. I don't care how, but you know, and, and they don't necessarily want to be a part of the process with voice actors. It's much more collaborative because voice actors by their very nature are creatives. And so they ask a lot of good questions. Um, they often want to be a, a partner, meaning that, uh, and I'll just give an example from SEO. So content is really important from an SEO perspective. And some voice actors will say, I'll write the content. Some will say, could you write it? And then I'll edit it. Some, um, can I write it and you edit it? Can we um, brainstorm ideas and then I'll write it. And, and then you can add in the right tags. You know, it's a collaboration, a collaboration of ideas. And again, with lawyers, it's usually, I don't want to write the content. I don't want to know what you're doing. I just want to make money, uh, which is not a, a criticism. It's just, you know, they're, they're busy. They're um, they have their, their business to run and their law to practice. And so, um, with voice actors, every voice actor, as you know, Jay Michael, is a small business. They're, they're accountants and marketing people and tech people and all these other things. And, and oh, by the way, they're also recording their voice. But it, it's almost like, you know, that becomes a, a smaller aspect of running a whole business. And so the, the most successful voice talent that I know are the ones that either juggle all those things well and, and can, you know, be that marketer and the accountant and all these other things, or the ones that uh, bring in someone else to manage the parts of their business that they don't want to and, you know, focus on doing what they do well. So I, I think that makes voiceover somewhat unique because in, in most industries, you're either working for another entity. And so you're only dealing with one small piece of the puzzle, or um, you're a, a, a one-person service provider that you know has a, a contract that you work on, and that's it. But with voice talent, there, there's always looking for more business. There's always um, servicing the business that you have, and then dealing with other aspects of your your business. Right, and and you know, so we're in in what I call the curator revolution in terms of casting right now. I've never seen a time where more buyers uh, are using search uh, to cast talent and and bypassing the middlemen in many cases, which is what it seems this younger generation of buyers really gravitates towards is is just keeping any other hands out of the transaction. And you know, I I have seen personally many thanks to you guys a uh, considerable growth in the walk in 
business that I get through my website on a daily and weekly basis. And I know a lot of other talent who have well-established SEO have seen the same. What is it that voice actors need to be thinking about in terms of putting a site together that's going to be highly visible in search and will lead to more opportunities? Yeah, so really Google's a relevancy engine. So if you wanna be relevant for a specific term, you need to be writing about it. And it's kind of counterintuitive to what a voice talent thinks they need on their site. You know, people need to go to your site and hear you and hire you. So those things need to be front and center. But in order for you to be relevant for people's search, you need to curate content. You need to have multiple pages. You need to write about the things you want to rank for. I mean, that's just one side of it, but that's a big part of it. So if the words don't appear on your page, then there's no way you'll come up for that because you're not relevant for a term that's not doesn't exist on your site at all. And the more pages you have, the more authoritative you become on that given subject that you're writing about. Right. Joe? I, I just wanted to add on to that. You know, there's thousands of things that go into calculating rank for search engines like Google. Um, different things are weighted differently and it, it changes over time. So the technology that powers the site, how fast is it? Do you have the right meta title tags and descriptions and H tags, you know, heading tags? Um, and Karen's absolutely right. I, I think using the analogy of a relevancy engine is a, a huge part of the equation. And another huge uh, part of it is uh, what I would call a popularity contest, where basically other websites that have something to do with what you do or what you want to rank for, if they link to you, then that's like a vote in favor of your site. And so a, a great website with lots of content, but no backlinks will probably not perform well. And a website that has tons of great backlinks, but is one page will also probably not perform well. So it, it's a, a balance of things. But if I had to you know, uh, boil it down to perhaps two of the most important, it's having a large body of relevant content and having a, a good backlink portfolio. So talk to me a little bit more about, uh, about backlinks. What does that mean? It, it means that uh, when you're looking at a piece of text on a website, whether it's a news article, a voice actor's blog, uh, a pay-to-play, really a, an agent's um, website, anything, when there's text there that's clickable and it goes through to your website, whether it's your homepage or a great article that you wrote or your medical narration page, um, that passes authority from the websites that, that is linking to the recipient website. So what I mean by that is, let's say you have your, your agent um, links to your website and they have a very powerful website and they rank well for uh, commercial voiceover terms. So if they link to you, if, if somewhere on their page, they have a link that points to your site, then Google's going to look at that and says, okay, so this website is authoritative when it comes to commercial voiceover and it's linking to J. Michael's site, that means that this website has respect for J. Michael and we're gonna pass some of that, um, in the industry we call it link juice, but uh, some of that authority over to J. Michael's site. So the more of those links or, or votes that you have in favor of your site, the more it strengthens it. Does that and, sound, sorry. No, and not only not all links are created equal. So if the higher the ranking site is that links to, the more of that authority gets passes along. 
So it's, it sounds like if you have relationships, if you have that agency relationship or, you know, you have relationships with people who have powerful sites that that can be helpful. But if you don't, if it's a new talent who's just starting out, how do you get the backlinks? Uh, good question. So you can, you can hire an entity to do it, um, which if you're a new talent, you, you may or may not have the resources to do that. The other way I think that is um, organic, and if you have time on your hands and you're a decent writer, is actually a, a pretty good one, is figure out what's going to be relevant to either talent or talent seekers, and then write about it. And um, the reason that that's important is, you know, if you're writing about stuff that's relevant to talent seekers, um, th that's great, but it, it may not get you a lot of backlinks because the people that are hiring talent may or may not link to it. But if you're writing content that's relevant to talent, which again, is kind of counterintuitive because they're not the ones that are going to hire you. But if you're doing that, then that content's going to get shared. So I'll give you some examples. Um, uh, Dave Corvassier does a really good job of that. Kim Handysides does a really good job of that. Paul Strickwarda also, um, fantastic job of it, where they, they're writing great content that's helpful to other talent. And then when a question comes up on social media, you know, are you going to write a whole answer or just link to a great blog post from, um, from Paul? Well, right. it's, it's a lot easier to, to link to that post. He did all the research. Uh, if you have a, a blog yourself and, and you want to point people to, you know, an article on rates and Kim did an article on rates, then great, you know, link to that. So uh, I think creating good content and then even reaching out to the people that you want to get links from and say, hey, you know, I, I noticed that you have this piece. I have this thing that supports that. Would you be willing to include it? Um, that there's, there's an organic way of going about it, which if you have time on your hands and you're, you know, a, a decent human being personable and, and able to write well, you can really generate a lot of backlinks that way. Another one is if you, if you have a little bit of work under your belt, so you're not like, you know, before your first job, but maybe you don't have um, hundreds of jobs done, you can reach out to the, the people that you've um, done the job for and say, Hey, you know, I, I noticed it's, um, displayed in this place, would you mind having a link saying um, so-and-so was the narrator? And so that that can be um, quite helpful from a, a link perspective as well. I, I often recommend also that people, you know, just Google themselves, do a Google search on yourself. And if you see any opportunity where you have a connection with somebody that wrote something about you uh, and that can you can reach out to them and link back to you, that's a free link. So if your high school newspaper wrote about you because now you do voiceovers and they have this, this piece about your university that you went to uh, and they spotlighted you, then you can get it. If you can reach out to them and ask for a link, sometimes they do it. And that's a free way to get that. Right. And, and now it's also possible to buy links, right? Yes. Yes. Um, so th that's where, you know, if you want to work with a, a third party that um, has the ability to get those for you, then um, that's certainly an approach and it can be very effective. Uh, getting the, the right type of link. So you wanna make sure that they're not coming from somewhere that's uh, spammy and there are tools you can use to, to test that. Um, I, but as long as they're good links, then um, a, a company that specializes in that can be extremely effective at um, getting them for you in exchange for a, a fee. And what, what does that kind of fee look like? I mean, is because we have talent who are starting out on a very tight budget, haven't started booking yet. You have other talent making hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, what, what is a reasonable budget for that kind of SEO work? 
I would say for a, a meaningful link, uh, and let me just um, give a little bit of background on what that means. There's a, a logarithmic scale called domain authority, which it, it goes from one to a hundred. And the higher a site is on that logarithmic scale, the more powerful it is. So, you know, if you're a five, that's not nearly as good as a six. A six might be a hundred times more powerful. A seven might be a thousand times more powerful. And so if you're, you know, getting up into the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, those are really going to move the needle. And those types of links can range anywhere from, say, a hundred bucks up to thousands of dollars. Uh, I, I think probably in the, the hundreds w- would be what you would expect to pay for a, a really solid link. Um, but like, you know, top tier, we're talking about the, you know, the, the top media sites on the internet, you could easily pay thousands of dollars. Right. And ha- how much does that move the needle on your site? How many of those links do you need? The higher the domain authority and the more relevant they are to um, what you're going for, the more it'll move the needle. So if you get a hundred links from a domain authority five, that's probably not as good as one or two links from a domain authority 80 or 90. And um, it depends a lot on how competitive what you're going after is. So if, if what you're going after is not that competitive, I would say a, a few of those links is probably enough to, to move the needle. If it's, you know, you're going after commercial voiceover where there's uh, hundreds of thousands of people competing for that search term, then you're going to need more than a few. And um, just to give you an idea that, you know, some of the, the sites that I've seen that rank for that have anywhere from thousands of links to tens of thousands of links to you. You have the, the pay to plays, which are, of course, are going after those too. And they often have millions of links, but um, they are not usually the most relevant result. And so I, there's time after time where uh, individual talent can outrank a, a pay to play with the right strategy. Right. And so if you were advising a newer talent who had, you know, gone about it the right way, somebody who's taking this seriously, they've got, uh, you know, a solid site, they've got good demos, they've had training, um, and they're presenting themselves well professionally. If they said, you know, what should my, what should my budget be for something like this? What's a reasonable budget uh, to help make a site stronger over time on a, on a monthly basis? Uh I would say in order to move the needle, spending at least 500 a month on SEO is probably the, the right strategy. You know, could you do it for a few hundred bucks? You could very slowly move the needle, but, you know, we have um, voice talent that are spending anywhere from, I'd say four or 500 a month up to about eight or 9,000 a month. And uh, it's funny because, you know, sometimes when I talk to talent and I say it's going to be four or 500 a month, they're like, oh my God, I could never spend that. And then others are like, oh, you know, I, you know, seven, eight grand, of course, if I make the ROI on that, then it's well worth it. And so it all depends on um, what resources you have available and, and what you want to invest in what aspects of your marketing. But I would say, you know, if, if someone wants to spend 50 or hundred dollars a month, then I would take that money and just save it every month and buy a, a nice mic or, um, you know, invest it in a different aspect of your marketing, because I don't think you'd be able to do enough in a reasonable period of time to move that needle. So I would say um, setting a budget of at least uh, four or 500 as a floor for SEO will help ensure results uh, within a reasonable period of time. 
Right. And, and step one would be to identify the terms that you want to go after, things that you want to be relevant for, and to start to curate content on your site surrounding that topic. Or else, if you have the link and you don't have the content, then you're not relevant for that search term anyways. So and then, and then, I was just going to say, if you have a genre or subgenre of VO that you want to go after, then you need to have a, a genre page built out with um, ideally the sweet spot is like 800 words a page. So uh, if you want to go after, you know, uh, corporate narration, you need to have a corporate narration page. If you want to go after, uh, you know, aerospace engineering e-learning, which it would be like a, a subgenre, um, then you really need to have those subgenre pages built out. And that will make the, the job of somebody doing SEO a heck of a lot easier. So you know, you can pay someone to, to write that content, uh, an SEO uh, person or, uh, you know, just a, a good writer. But if you go to someone and you have a three-page website and you say, I want to do SEO, uh, you're going to need to grow that site by a significant amount to do anything uh, that's impactful. And you, you mentioned the idea earlier of a, a substantial body of content. Let's talk about what that looks like. So you're saying 800 words per page per thing that you're interested in. You know, I, I know there for a long time, there was a school of thought people were telling uh, talent, you know, less is more and keep it simple. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Huh? I think it depends on your goal. I mean, th there's, there's a way to, to um, satisfy humans and search engines, but you have to figure out if you define your goals, then the path becomes clear. So if you're using your website as an extension of your business card and you're sending people there to hear you and hire you, then the most important things are your demos and the ability to contact you. And it's very simple. If you want to be found organically beyond the people that you're sending to your site, then you need a larger site. And the way to marry those two solutions is to have pages which at the top above the fold, which means without scrolling down, you have your demos, but then below that or to the side of that or side and below, you have well-written content targeting that, um, that area. So you, you might write about um, aerospace engineering and, and e-learning and, and what makes a good narration or what characteristics to look for or um, how, to, um, how to hire the right talent or uh, your own experience. So a, a good way to, to write relevant content is, you know, as a, um, a former engineer, uh, John Smith, uh, or, or I, depending on if it's first person or third person, has a, uh, a really deep understanding of the complex terms used in uh, aerospace engineering. And it's important to have a, a narrator that really uh, not only is saying words, but understands the meaning of them. And, you know, so you, you talk about why you're relevant to what the talent seeker needs. And what you're doing is you're setting up a situation where you're telling them, hey, you want this. And guess what? By the way, I solve all your problems. So the majority of talent seekers are not going to read that content. They're going to listen to your demo and make a decision. But that content is, is what's going to help. Gonna, it's what's going to help you get in front of that talent seeker in the first place. And if they do read it, it will um, likely help convince them to work with you. And we, we hear a lot of advice that talent uh, should blog. Um, is, is that good advice? And uh, if so, how often? Daily, weekly, monthly? What's, what's the best practice there? Karen? Yeah, blogging is great. It's, 
It's a good way. You, so there's two approaches. You can either blog for your fellow voice talent, which Joe kind of touched upon earlier, where they could uh, link to you and that would help you. You know, you're providing a resource to the community and the community can either share that content or maybe I write a blog post and I touch upon a subject that you wrote a full blog about. And I'm, I say, okay, if you want more information about this, check it out here. And I link to your site. That will give you that relevant backlink that we were talking about before. And, and your site as a whole is going to grow and it's talking more about voiceover. So that's helpful in that sense. And then there's something called um, a long tail search, which is essentially when you ask a question to Google, uh, what's more relevant, a male or a female voice for environmental political ad? Obviously that's just somebody's, um, lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's, that's <laughs> I think what you're trying to say is th those types of long-tailed searches are not the ones with maximum volume, but um, it's uh, going after an individual who's going to be asking that type of question. And it's a lot easier to rank for those types of long-tailed searches than it is to go after, you know, e-learning or e-learning voiceover or mm -hmm. Uh, commercial voiceover. So if you can answer enough of those questions, those, you know, one-offs where you get one person here, one person there, it adds up and SEO is cumulative. So it's not a thing where you write this blog post, it's good for two days and then it's gone. No, it, it's building up over time. And I, I, part of your question was how often should you blog? The more, the better. So once a week is better than once a month. Once a day is better than once a week once an hour is better than once a day. <laughs> and so the, the um, it all adds up to a larger site. The, the sites that do well in voiceover generally have um, over 30 or 40 pages. And some of them have hundreds or even thousands of pages. Right. And um, so that, that may seem daunting, but if you're writing once a day, that's 365 uh, pages in a year. If you're writing once a week, well, that's 52 pages in a year. So um, I, I think SEO, uh, as Karen often says, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, but it's, um, it, it pays off over time. And so if you want results tomorrow from SEO, it's probably not going to happen. If you want results six months, a year from now, then, and you're willing to invest time and, and resources into it, then yeah, it can be an extremely effective tool. Let's pivot a little bit to design. Obviously, web design is a big part of what you guys do as well. What makes for an attractive and compelling website for a voice actor? I think it's individual to the person's personality, what genres they want to go after. I think oftentimes people get bogged down with what's my brand going to be as soon as they're launching their business. And I, I find that a lot of times after the first two years, the business takes them in a completely different direction than they thought they were going to be going in because they really wanted to focus on this one thing, but they keep getting booked for something else. And so if you focus too much on that in the beginning, I feel like you end up redoing things unless you have a brand like, oh, I'm a British voice and I want it to look British or something like that, then, okay, that's a brand that's sustainable. Um, as long as you look professional, it reflects the way you sound, because sometimes people, they have this really bubbly personality and uh, they're really loud and just fun. And, and then the stuff they get booked for is completely opposite of that. And if that's what their site looks like when you land on it, just like when you see a person's picture, you presume they sound a certain way. 
uh, I think that the way the site looks would make somebody think you might sound a certain way. Right. It pre-biases the listener. So I, I, I think um, just to add on to what Karen's saying, if you are brand new, you probably don't know who you're going to be as a talent. In fact, I would bet that you don't know. If you've been doing this for a while, the industry is going to tell you who you are as a talent. So um, let's take you as an example, uh, Jay Michael. So you uh, are a voice talent of a certain caliber that I think um, deserves respect and also has a certain level of prestige associated with you and your brand. Well, the check and- is the check is in the mail, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so your 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 design reflects that. So um, you know people often associate. Uh, black and white and gold with uh, luxury and your, your voice brings that to brands. So your, your design reflects that. Um, if I was building a brand just based on my conversations with you and, and, you know, the fact that you're kind of a fun guy who we can talk about sports or, or anything else, I would think of a brand being very different than that, but um, that's not necessarily who you are as a talent. That's who you are as a human being. And so um, some people, there's a, a really strong correlation between the way they look, the way they sound and who they are in real life. And other people, um, there's, uh, you know, they, they may wear a backwards hat, but do uh, commercials for, you know, luxury cars. Mm-hmm. And so in deciding your brand and deciding an aesthetic, are you a part of that? Is, is your personality a part of that? Is, is your brand as a voice actor a part of that? Are you trying to gear it towards what a, a talent seeker is looking for or, you know, to, um, to serve some other purpose? And, I, and I'll just give you an example. We've had a few voice actors who have said, you know, I love, um, I, I love my pet ferret. So this is a real example. <laughs> and they wanted their brand to be all about their ferret which it's great that they love their animal. I love animals too, but it didn't have anything to do with who they were as a voice talent or the people that they were hire, getting hired by. Um, it's not like they did you know, animal stuff. So I think people have to be careful to not fall into the trap of, you know, I love this, therefore that's my brand. Thou, thou shalt not love your ferret too much. That's her. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's good advice, good advice for everyone, I think. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> They can be mean little bastards too. Um, <laughs> Karen, I would say, or rats. Or rats, right? <laughs> I've run. I've run into an oddly uh, numerous group of voice actors who seem to have loose birds flying around. Yes. Uh, yeah, that that seems to be a thing. Uh, I don't know. I've been bitten I... by one of them. I was in a voice actor's house, and the bird was flying around and bitten on the ear. <laughs> See it, and then, and you and you and you know all those lawyers, but you're a nice enough guy that nothing came from that. So yes, just to <laughs> clarify, I said ear, not something else. Ah, ah yes, <laughs> well, leave that for the parrot. No, never mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so as I mentioned to you guys before we got on, these these tend to evolve and devolve organically, and I think now that we're at ferret and um, you know other references, that is the that is the signal that maybe it's time to start to wrap up. Let's leave uh, the audience with um, just some good general advice from each of you for uh, best best plans they can make, the best moves they can make in terms of, of their sites and design. And, you know, keep it simple. What, 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 what's the first thing that they should be thinking about uh, when they're getting into the VO industry? Have a pro demo made. If you don't have a pro demo, you're not ready for a website. That's my number one advice. 
Yeah, actually, you'd be surprised how many people come to us and say, you need a website. And we say, okay, great. Let's hear your demos because, you know, listening to someone is an important part of it. And they say, oh, I, well, I, I don't have those yet, um, but I will, you know, I'm, I'm maybe in six months or a year. And we say, great, call us back then because that's what's going to get you hired. The, the website, um, if it's an SEO site, it may get the, you the eyeballs and the, the ears of the people that are going to hire you. And if it's an extension of a business card, it, it's what may show that you're a professional, but it's the demo that's going to get you booked. So um, I completely agree with Karen. And I, I think your first site, don't overthink it. Make it look like, it, it, think about if you were hiring an accountant for your business, would you go and hire an accountant that had something that didn't look professional or somebody that looked like the, they knew what they were doing? So the same applies for a voice talent. Make sure it, it looks um, decent if it's your first site, that it has your demos playable and downloadable. Um, that's a really important one. A lot of people forget to make them downloadable because a lot of agents, a lot of people who are hiring talent, they're not making that decision right then. They're saving the demo and checking them later against the other you know, 5, 10, 15 people, or maybe even they, you're not right for this job, but you're right for another one. So um, making it downloadable and put your name in the demo because a lot of people when they put their MP3 up there, what do they name it? Commercialdemo.mp3 or corporate narration demo.mp3. But um, they're not going to remember, the talent seeker is not going to remember where that demo came from when they downloaded it. And so make sure you put your, your name dash the, uh, the type of genre it is and with no spaces because web servers don't really like spaces. So it would be Joe dash Davis dash commercial dash demo.mp3, something like that. And then um, don't, and I think this is actually uh, also up there with top advice. Don't make the person that's coming to your site hunt for the action that you want them to take. Mm -hmm. um, we would call it a call to action in the industry, but basically if you want them to play your demo, make sure that is not um, buried in your site. A, a lot of uh, voice talent will put their demos on an internal page. And there's nothing wrong with having demos also on an internal page, but make sure it's on the homepage, front and center above the fold. Because if you think about what a casting director or an agent uh, or any talent seeker is doing is they're not looking at your website and that's it. They may have looked at 20, 30, 50 other ones. And if they have to hunt, if you're adding minutes to their day, then they're much less likely to spend that time because if every site added three minutes to their day, that might be hours. Mm -hmm. And it, um, a lot of them will just go away. So um, the action, which is hearing you and then hiring you should be extremely easy to take. I think that's probably the best advice. And I want to add one more thing. Don't put WAV files on your site because they're too large and it's going to take forever to load. And the person who's trying to take the action to play or download, it's going to take forever to, for it to play and they're going to assume that something's not working and they're going to leave and you're going to lose them. Great so advice. MP3s. Great advice all around. And I, I'm going to be contacting you guys again soon because my next demo file name is going to be bug-bird-ferret-noises.mp3. <laughs> and we're going to have to corner that market. Joe Davis, Karen Barth, voiceactorwebsites.com. Thank you guys so much for being here. Hey, Michael, it's always a pleasure.
pleasure is all mine. And uh, I, I, you know, I don't often say this with guests that I have, but I mean it from the heart. Uh, I, we're not ever here to do a sales pitch, but uh, I'm not just a podcast host. I'm also a client. Um, these guys are the real deal. If you want to get a great website done, voiceactorwebsites.com is the place to go. So thanks again. And uh, to all of you out there listening, you know what time it is. Here is Kayla. You have been listening to This Week in VO with J. Michael Collins. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues on social media. If you do, JMC might just send you a lobster. Now here's nobody trying to sell you anything, because that's just how we roll. Stay tuned for a new podcast most weeks throughout the year. 